Hello, and welcome to Connect and Collaborate, a podcast of the Colorado Business Roundtable brought to you by ACEC Colorado. I'm your on-air producer, Keenan Brew, and I'm incredibly excited today because we have a guest, Agnes Steib, who's going to be explaining a little bit more about innovation and what you were presenting today at the ACEC Innovation Conference. So first of all, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be at the event and also on this podcast because I believe we can co-create and co-share the knowledge and that's the actually fundamental of human evolution. So happy to just uh, give my contribution in that long journey of our uh, mankind. Absolutely. Well, I know personally, I'm really excited about the opportunity to learn, but here using this technology, we're able to share our conversation here today, along with all the listeners out on the internet or on their podcast devices, wherever they listen to us. So first of all, I just want you to please give yourself a little bit of an introduction and let our audience get to know a little bit about your background and who you are. I'm an interesting person <laughs> and I'm very curious and my nature is very much into the exploration. And of course, we explore the things first of all outside of us. And then to some degree, we reach the point that, okay, we kind of learn how the things are evolving around us and how we build technologies to make our lives easier or more comfortable. But then at a certain point, we realize, wow, while we're developing these high-performing technologies, we are uh, forgetting about our human nature actually playing a huge role in our happiness or our productivity and performance in organizations. And then that's the point when we have to kind of look back to ourselves and actually investigate and study and understand our human behavior, how we behave, how we make choices, and how we actually self-determine the success in our lives and also in our uh, organizations. And therefore, I think I went through all of this journey, starting from my computer science master degree or a grad degree. And then I got bored with all of this basic uh, understanding that you can build the computers and they work or they don't, and then you fix them. But then once I get into the working with people, I was so amazed. There was such a complexity, sophistication. Went, oh, that's really interesting. So after that, I did my PhD, uh, not at that point. So I did my MBA. So that actually brought these two things closer together. I worked in the industry, um, big companies like Hewlett Packard and Oracle, and applying this expectation management and how we could get the people what they want. And uh, later I thought, oh, but I'm still missing one piece, which is the fulfillment for myself. And then I thought, oh, what would be so interesting and exciting that I would do the whole day, every day? And that's a formula of happiness if you look at the Eastern philosophy. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. Let's ask Google. And so when I throw in the keywords related to technology and then the keywords related to the human being, and then it turned out, oh, there is this area of persuasive technology. Oh, we design technologies to influence what people think and do. And I decided to go to do a PhD. PhD is a comfortable um, way to get the deep expertise in something. And that's how I built it up. Three years, social influencing systems. And then three years as a postdoc at MIT, actually applying this conceptual um, design thinking to the urban space. And this is how the persuasive cities, later transforming cities emerged. And then I was always concerned about improving lives. And that's uh, how we get to the sustainable well-being. And now I'm doing my professorship. And I, so I teach and, and I continue researching and I'm directing international MBA program on with transforming perspective. So I really believe that the answer is in ourselves and technology is the amplifier. And if we get these things in a right balance together and put them around us so they enable us to succeed, we will be just fine with everything. 
really appreciate your optimism. And you're right. That is an incredible background, having the computer side, but then going and making the jump to the, the human side, which is very sophisticated, as you were saying. And there may be some similarities, maybe some differences. So I've heard about the terms of UX, UI, and user experience and user interface. Um, but you're not just looking at the user experience on a piece of technology. You're looking at how can we use technology and how can we use this design to change the environments? Or how would you describe the purpose of your work nowadays? Yes. So if we think conceptually, we are interacting with outside world. And that outside world might have physical objects, nature objects, and then technology-driven objects. And that's our interaction when we get into the human-technology interaction. And then we can also scale it up. So there can be technology in our hands or in the urban space, in the city. And I think if we look at this interaction just on the very, in a very shallow manner, then we think, okay, people come, they use, and they leave. But what is the footprint or what is the outcome or what is the effect of that use experience on people's lives? Whether these people get their minds or attitudes shifted one way or the other after they use that particular or had that particular experience. So we might use platforms for the primary task, but then those experiences can be complemented with a subtle features, let's say so, in the, in the user experience uh, or the user uh, interaction design, which are tailored to help people achieve what they want. And I'm constantly emphasizing. So sometimes people ask, oh, you want to change every, everyone? No. January 1st says so many people want to change and I want to help them. <laughs> so therefore, if people for some reason are uh, in a deficit of motivation, in February. <laughs> but at the same time, there are so many other people around them that are successful throughout the years, whether they, that's about reading more books, whether that's about eating healthier or uh, making um, or choosing more eco-friendly mobility modes. It's just that our built environment is not transparent, but technology can make it transparent and, and show that data to those January 1st people who are longing for more um, inspiration is getting this data through the technology onto the hands or into the kind of uh, awareness of these people who are willing to change. And that's the power of social influence. So I might be repeating this over and over again, uh, to put it very shortly, while so many times marketing and organizational context uses rewards and punishments as the main drivers of motivation, no, even knowing that this is short term, so they work as long as they are present, right? And then when you stop, that's kind of reverts back and sometimes even backfires. So therefore, in comparison to that, in contrast, social influence is something, first of all, you don't need to create it. It's already inbuilt in our nature and we are reactive and we change what we think and do based on others. And then using those insights from social science to plug it in into the user uh, inter interface design, it's just what it takes so that the users would be experiencing the social influence and getting those empower, empowerment moments and, and insights to actually steer their life towards where they want. Wow, that's incredible. The influence of other social activities really does help. And you've opened my mind a lot about technology already in this conversation about, yes, it's the phone in your hand, but it can be so much more, whether it's something built into the environment or the way the environment is designed itself. And you had some fascinating examples there with someone trying to improve themselves and doing different things like wanting to go work out. But you were also hinting a little bit at uh, maybe some of the larger social activities that have a bigger implication as far as the larger environment 
environment. What would you describe as some of the, the biggest challenges on the planet that we're facing today that some of this design thinking could help and address? I think the biggest challenge for us is ourselves and not knowing deeply enough how we operate. And also, I really appreciate that we've gotten so far, but unfortunately went through the centuries, which helped us to evolve, but at the same time, got our understanding about ourselves well, very constrained. And those implications are still holding us back. I think essentially understanding how we react, how we make choices, how we are constantly influenced, and actually how powerful we are to change what we think and do ourselves uh, is, is the essence that is missing in the most of the activities that is ha happening. So people still rely on the premise that if we only change something around the people, they will behave differently. So sometimes they bring their office next to the sea with a nice view, they change the chairs and maybe lighting or something and then they expect, okay, now people will come on time to work. No, because there is a different attitudinal barrier that actually inhibits them to do so. So therefore the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity is learning more about ourselves, how our brains work. And I really look forward with a neuroscientist to bring more insights closer uh, understanding of how the whole intelligence is happening and also behavioral intelligence, how it's, uh, it's, it's, it's operating there. So once we get that understanding that the beginning and the end of everything is our human behavior, and we fundamentally have that identity in our everyday decision-making, then we can start to see sustainable change, which I call transformation. Transformation. That's, that's amazing. And uh, just want to follow up in asking about, um, so you're currently a professor in France and you're a researcher with MIT. And I understand you're a global thought leader that travels to many countries, continents, and speaks on this subject. Uh, how do you see this unfolding out here in the future? I believe that everyone has a transformation gene. So I, I'm taking a little bit of um, borrow this perspective of the DNA. It's like a hardware of the human being. And then recent discoveries have been describing epigenetics, which says that the environment and our chosen behaviors determine which of the gene expressions are more activated and which are silenced. And I believe, and my observations and my work across the continents and over these years have proven that everyone has a transformation gene, which means they can express powerful, uh, always present and, and um, available uh, form of change and transformation and understanding of that in their, in their DNA. And I think what is the mission that I do, and I think it's, it's scalable because if, if I'm getting people guided to a place inside of them, where there is this small place covered with something that is conditioned before, and I try to uncover it, unveil it, and show, here it is. Here is your transformation power. Here's your understanding of that. It's already inbuilt in your nature. And then activating that gene, the person uh, acquires a new identity. And then whatever is the question, whatever is the case, the person is not into the let's say old fashioned or that's the stereotypical fight or flight mode of what to do with this, but is in the, in the mode of, um, of power of driving the change, like being able, being knowledgeable 
and being confident. And that's what I mean by activating these uh, transformation genes. And once the, that happened, there is no way back. It's just the people become with a new identity. And sometimes I re refer to back to um, people's identity as a book of life. So people can list their book of life and go to the page. And that page can have a sentence. And that sentence says, I'm not sure what the transformation is. Or I might say transformation is a mystical thing. Or uh, I always try to change something and I always fail. And then it might be another sentence for the different people. They would say, you know, I've seen other people trying to change and they failed. <laughs> Whatever the sentence is, it's there. And that's the reason why is nothing is happening. And if I guide the people to their life's books and, 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 and they see and they read the sentence, and then we reframe it and I help them to edit it. And actually they become, oh, actually, after these, all of these examples, I feel how it works and I know how it works. Actually, I, I, can, I can tell these stories to the other people. And this is how the gene activation through the environment, like epigenetics, enable the neighboring people to feel the same thing. And it's kind of naturally spreads to the social networks and the social connections nowadays. So I'm very, very optimistic in, in this in this sense. <laughs> Love your optimism and it's very contagious. I'm feeling it already. You've been opening my mind about the persuasive technology and love the analogy of the genetics and as well as the epigenetics of how the environment can turn on or off genes and, and make those changes here in the real world. Um, it's incredible. How, how do we move ahead? How do we apply this and, and start making this work in an efficient way? I wish I could multiply myself. But there is a good news. We have the amplifier, which is internet, online, all of this constant connectivity. And we, we know people spend so much time onto the, with the screens. And therefore, I would encourage people to become curious, people to become curious about themselves. I mean, people experience distractions from all sorts of things their hobbies, their friends, emails, <laughs> notifications, media, TV, and so forth. And if we would be able to help people to realize that the potential is in them and destruction is just a way to find excuse of not uh, getting closer connected to themselves. So one, getting more curious about who I am, bringing more awareness of what's really happening, what's it's signaling to you, especially if we think about the change, reflecting on the previous ones, and then acquiring some insights from people that are very knowledgeable. I'm sure there are many very insightful people uh, doing similar work like I, like I do, but they are more towards like spirituality or more towards um, other aspects of change management. And, and they are very, very much neighboring. Uh, territories. Even the people that are speaking about now and using terms gamification, nudging, behavioral economics, I'll tell you one thing. It's pretty much comes down to the same. It's about understanding our human behavior and our decision making in a certain context. And it's only way how we get ahead in the future better, easier, and more naturally is how we align everything that we do with how we are as a human beings and what actually change or transformation means we have been evolving for thousands of years right or i don't know like long time so that's what we have already it's in tapping into that having the um removing the barriers from here uh conditioning and um, feeling empowered curiosity awareness knowledge 
Go ahead. <laughs> I love your champion of curiosity. It's so important. It's part of what I love about my job and really grateful to be able to be learning here from you today. It's amazing what you're describing with the behavioral economics and how relatively recently that has become uh, a new area of subject within economics. You know, we had all these models and now behavioral economics is superseding them and is much more like the real world. And uh, it seems uh, I'm a fan of psychology. I'm curious what is going on in the research side. I don't know if you can share a little bit about what you're researching on the MIT side or other interesting research of you and your colleagues, but um, share us a, a little bit of what's what's on the cutting edge of the behavioral uh, understanding of how our psychology and actions work. Right. Uh, and again, just to reflect a little bit what I said before, I'm not saying it's all the same thing. I'm just saying it's all the same, uh, tackling the same area. We try to un uh, uh, like unlock what is the what is the potential that we have as a human beings. And then there was different aspects to look at it. And certainly within the spectrum of behavioral science, there are these attempts. Okay, let's look through from the economic point of view, which means utilitarian. So what would make more of a rational decisions? And then certainly thinking fast and slow says, okay, we have two systems, uh, instinctive and intelligence. Okay, it's not all the same. And then nudging. Nudging is great for making like a small, um, tiny, but at the same time, very effective nudges on the way to get there. General message uh, that I've been working on, and also my colleagues as well, is how can we scale it? And how can we make the progress and accelerate with the tools that bring the most results with the least, least effort? And this is where I'm fundamentally invite everyone, reconsidering the tools that have been used so far, overused possibly, in many areas, including marketing, sales, organizational context, human relations, uh, human, human resource management, <laughs> is rewards and punishments. They work, no doubt about that. It's just a question, what is the sustainability? Is there a sustainability of these tools? And uh, answer is, at least my answer is no. We can achieve short-term, very dedicated changes. But I, again, I would say, it's not rather a change. It's like, a, it's like you go to a marketplace and you, you, you bargain. You say, oh, would you do uh, 10 push-ups every morning if I give you $100? Oh, $100 is nice. After a month, um, no, $100, nah. Like, give me 200 <laughs> And then when you stop paying, what push-ups? <laughs> what were you speaking about? So therefore, knowing the limitations of these methods, I encourage, I invite everyone to reconsider the alternatives which have more sustainable effects and that are much more present, which is social influence. Every single human being has that inbuilt in their DNA. You enter the room of the meeting and you wonder, oh, is it a good idea to open my laptop or not? What do you do? You look at others. And if all of the laptops are open, you think, oh, it's safe. I can do my emails. And then you might be in a situation you think, oh, I really need to be in this meeting. Oh, but I need to finish this email as well. But you have like the circumstances, you just decide, I go in the meeting and I will finish there. You enter the room, all the laptops are closed. And you're like, hmm, now I'm trapped. And then you, you just, you will feel 
all of the ways how your body reacts to the situation say don't open the don't open the laptop <laughs> don't open the laptop you will have a no, you better not start doing it you, you, and then, then the mind goes into what kind of excuses i will write to that person whom i promised to respond into the email this is how powerful it is and i have plenty of examples and they are available on youtube and i'm just selecting those to give the inspiration and give the insights to everyone and i think that's exactly what's happening in my talks so people look at themselves and feel actually like internally the bodily like like signals are saying yeah yeah and that's why people have a good laugh because they know how it works i'm just saying let's use it <laughs> absolutely so I'm really curious, ACEC Colorado, with their event, the Infrastructure and Innovation Summit, a lot of what you're describing, and in my mind, I'm familiar with Daniel Kahneman thinking fast and slow in economics or seeing some things in, in marketing. Uh, how would you go about uh, describing what it is that you do for... Um, here, one second. Alex, can you click that off? Okay. How would you describe um, your presentation as you tailored it for a group of engineers and construction, and, and what can they be doing for themselves in their own lives and business, or especially could they incorporate some of your thinking and some of this new research into design space and, and how they build the environments that we find ourselves in? Oh, it was so easy to some degree for me because that's exactly what I did at MIT. It was all, at that time, it was persuasive cities. I was still coming from this persuasive technology, but then we know that word persuasion has this kind of a double meaning and we are, okay, let's Take the persuasion out of the equation. Let's take, let's put the transformation in there. So therefore, scaling up, and especially in the in the urban context, that's the place where the most people are. So the chances that you have good examples around you are higher, and also the way how people live and commute through the urban spaces give you the opportunity to place some technology on their way that would be reflecting something that actually encourages them uh, to change what they think and. Uh, you know, even these simple things that I sometimes ask, and when I was at MIT, I say, oh, we work on this, encouraging people to ride more bikes uh, as, the, as they commute to the school or to the work. And then uh, I sit in a meeting room, there are two other people, and I say, oh, what would be your guess? How many people are uh, riding bikes on the Mass Ave um, every day? Just give me an average number. So until two people respond, one says 100, the other says 1,000. It turned out the, the person who said 100 is a dedicated car driver. <laughs> and then the other person was a dedicated bike rider. And you see, no one really knows, but everyone has a perception. And if we live in our perceptions, we kind of are misleading and creating a delusion. So therefore, first of all, bringing this understanding that people are, first of all, constantly changing their decisions based on others, and if they are willing, if they're January 1st people that are willing to change, they're looking for more inspiration. And the inspiration that comes from other people is much more sustainable than the inspiration that comes from $100. For the most cases, I mean, in a sustainable way. So therefore, architects, engineers, and developers, especially those who create the new landscapes or experiences in the urban space, are those who would make uh, the urban life much better, much more enjoyable by including the ways how their chosen infrastructure, their chosen design and architecture would be naturally in sync 
with what people would perceive as being meaningful for their lives or for uh, their well-being. So therefore, I really believe that even existing architecture, and that will be the shortcut, existing architecture can be overlaid with technology, as simple as screens, as simple as lights that change the color based on the, some behavioral activity, even the public transit. And I sometimes say about this, okay, the bus can change the color, it depends on how frequently the people were there, or, or maybe even you know, going that far as uh, you, you, you hold yourself and that reads your stress levels <laughs> and you say, oh, the bus is coming. I'm not going to get on this one. There are too, too many stressed people. I'm just playing with these ideas. But once you say them, people can imagine that that can be a very natural part. So, yes, uh, the biggest transformation at scale can happen in, in urban spaces. And the engineers and architects and designers and consultants in this area are the, are the, are the real change makers because their future... Uh, project will determine the, how, how, how well we could accelerate uh, transformation towards well-being and living in, in these cities. That's an incredible opportunity for us and everyone in the engineering and construction architectural space to be able to take this thinking you're describing and have transformative environments built into the infrastructure. Uh, uh, we only have time for about two more questions, and I'm really excited to keep learning from you. So, in the in the meantime, whether someone's an engineer and building something in the real world as a space, or they're working in a different area, what are some actionable things that individuals can start? tomorrow to affect this change in their lives? So I think, again, we can look at it at different scales. So we just spoke about um, practitioners and experts and consultants. So they would uh, be having the tools into their design experience and knowledge about how that human behavior can be intertwined with their engineering. And then I, I believe if we come down to the individual and, uh, you know, we wake up in the morning, then we have the access to the infinite source of energy flowing through us every day, and we make decisions. What do we do with it? And we know our energy goes where our attention goes. That's a kind of universal thing. And the results will appear exactly there where your attention goes and the energy flow is there. So therefore, why some people might not have a clear direction where they're going. They wake up and just get caught into the distraction immediately. What I would encourage everyone, every individual, and to use one practical thing. And in my work, it's called arrow or a vector, which means determining where are you going. And again, it's not an easy question, but if you don't ask, we never get the answer. And if you are clear, what is a, and usually people refer to this as a purpose, but I encourage to draw just a line and the line means the arrow. And how does it work? At the end of the arrow, you just pick what is the most meaningful for that time of your life or for a particular context. Then you draw other arrows from the same inception point, but in a different direction. Like you have several arrows, the long one to the, to the end goal you want, and then there are several others. Now, if you know that you go in the arrow, for example, points to the direction that you aim to be a person who always finds, um, let's say, or let's take a, make, a, make a simpler example, a person who reads more books, whatever that means. And then, and for example, that'll be um, uh, 
promise to the person, okay, I will re read 10 pages every day. It's not a big deal, but still it's going to get you under the face. So which means every single day you make a decision and, 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 and the arrow is at the person who reads 10 pages a day. So every single day, if you read the 10 pages, you land on the same arrow. One day you say, well, I did already very well for two months. Why don't I just skip one? But the geo geometry works like this. Whenever you make your decision and put it aside of the arrow, it lands on a different arrow and you know it, it, it creates an angle and you end up being somewhere else. So that's a practical tool every person can, can use as a reflection for, first of all, where you want to get and knowing, and you can put those reminders around you. Like sometimes people learn the new languages by putting the, like a stickers with the names. These will be the, your transformation stickers. Arrow, where you want to go, and other arrows, which means leading not where you want to go. That's a practical thing. Everyone can just test it for themselves for a few days and see how that actually makes things much clearer. The noise that comes into the head and saying, well, but you know, you may, nobody sees that, but you know, you know how it works and your body would be signaling that. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to give that a try and I hope our audience members do as well. Um, I would love to keep learning and I know we have a hard stop here in about a minute. Where can our audience members find out more about you and keep up with your work? There is this, as I call it, gateway to transformation. And that's a website, transforms.me. Excellent. Well, Agnes, thank you so much for joining ACEC. Thank you for joining us here today on Connect and Collaborate, podcast of the Colorado Business Roundtable, brought to you by ACEC Colorado. I've been your on-air producer, Keenan Brew. And Agnes, thank you so much. And to our audience, please go ahead and try this out and follow Agnes online. Thank you so much.